My name is Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time to make them available online. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. The Holy Gospel, according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, Cure the sick who are there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. Jesus said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Well, as we have been looking at over the last few weeks, Jesus's journey to Jerusalem in Luke is largely about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and today is no exception. Now, a lot of this is going to be very specific to the context they are in, But as we consider their context and our own, these texts also will speak to where we are at. And as we will keep seeing, the weight is heavy, the cost is high, and there's a sense of urgency and severity. Today we see that yet again, but it comes by way of Luke's account of the sending of the 70. You may recall that a bit earlier, Jesus sent out just 12, like the 12, the disciples, and they went out and did the same sort of things Jesus had done, healing, teaching, etc. And then after some time passes, now we see it happen again, but this time, 70. Now, those are both symbolic numbers that are used throughout scripture, but perhaps they're used here to draw to mind 
those other times that they're used. For example, uh, the idea that the 12 tribes of Israel, that started with the 12 brothers, including a couple nephews actually, in Joseph's story, as in Joseph with the coat of many colors, the names of his brothers and a couple nephews, became the namesakes of the 12 tribes of Israel. But when Joseph brings them there, the number of people who seed this nation within a nation, Israel within Egypt, is 70. And then again, if we keep reading a little bit later, when Moses is out in the wilderness and realizes he needs to spread his workload out, get some help from the elders, the number he chooses is 70. 70 is the number of people God will use when expanding the work, when expanding on whatever is happening. So again, like we saw last week, we get this inversion. The movement is growing by number of people, but the severity of call is growing with it. So the reasons to push people away are also rising, increasing. So we go from 12 to 70 and soon thousands, but Jesus will raise the stakes so that people will fall away just as quickly as they came. When the energy, the enthusiasm, the excitement are there, it's a no-brainer to get on board. Like an excited young Christian having their first deeply spiritual encounter with God, they are all in. And they think in that enthusiasm that it'll be the same way forever. As commendable as that enthusiasm is, naivety eventually breaks down as the real world sets in. Life is difficult. God doesn't promise to spare us of its difficulties. Quite the opposite. God promises to be present with us in those difficulties as God calls us to be in the muck, to be present with others in their difficulties, to be like lambs in the midst of wolves. So we can see this movement from enthusiasm to disappointment on an individual level, but for this trip to Jerusalem, we're seeing it across the whole movement, across a whole bunch of individuals. Let's look at what that means in today's text to get a little bit deeper than just these generalities. When Jesus sends them out, he sends them out in a remarkably vulnerable state. They're in pairs, but that's about their only safety. Again, it's like lambs in the midst of wolves. They've got no purse, no bag, no sandals, and they're not even to greet anyone along the road. That means they're going out without the support you normally would depend on if you were traveling the countryside. They can't buy their way for into anything. They can't trade stuff for help. If they don't greet people, they can't even get help from strangers, which would have been the norm in that cultural context. And this is all a very scary thought. Going out into the world without that kind of help would normally mean the death of these 70 disciples. When they do arrive in town and wish God's peace upon the household, they are to stay in one place and just accept the food and drink that the family offers. That doesn't sound so bad, but it does imply that they don't get to shop around. If the family God sends them to is meager in what they have to offer, say just scraps of dry bread or something like this, then they just have to take what they get. If a more well-off family comes along and offers them room and board, say because they want the healers and teachers to be in their household for a few days, the 70 are not to take any such offer. Then 
If they aren't welcome in a town, they are to kick the dust off their shoes. Just forget it and move on. But again, whatever we make of this, say it's rude or vindictive, it's also another risk for the 70. If the message Jesus sent them to share is rejected, they can't just change their tune and negotiate something else to stay a while, to take a break, to not have to keep traveling. They are instead to kick the dust off their shoes and proclaim just the same as they would have had they been welcomed. The message doesn't change no matter how it's heard. The kingdom of God has drawn near. So God calls them into this precarious, reckless, dangerous situation, going out on their own without the preparation or resources that are necessary to survive. Why would God do such a thing? Why would God create such a situation? Well, it's to show the people on the countryside there what's really going on. This demonstrates Jesus' authority. It proves to the world that Jesus is who he says he is and that his word can be trusted. It joins a long list of things Jesus did on earth to prove that we can, in fact, trust what he says about us and the world and creation and our future and our relationship with God. Jesus' death on the cross and then rising from the dead is the example, right? It's the biggest one. But today, we count this as dozens of mini-examples, kind of like it. Seventy people sent out such that they are as good as dead, because they go out in such a reckless way that they could not possibly make it home safe, and yet they make it back with reports of success by the grace of God. Well, Jesus explains how that's possible. He gave them authority to do such, to tread among scorpions and stay safe. He kept them safe amongst snakes by conforming the world to the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't intimidated by any of these destructive or evil forces, not even Satan himself. More remarkable than all of this is that the names of these disciples are accounted for in heaven. That's what he leaves them with. God has used them for good and their salvation is assured. That's the good news. Well, what about us then? Well, to start, what do we not do? <laughs> In the wilderness, Jesus said to Satan that we do not test God. We don't try to force God's hand by acting foolishly or recklessly. This text doesn't suggest that we go out defenseless under the assumption that God will make everything turn out all right. Instead, we have to consider the difference in context. What do we risk if we were to proclaim the kingdom of God? Some awkward conversations, sure. Maybe even a broken or estranged relationship, perhaps. And compared to dying on the roadside, that doesn't seem too bad. So perhaps, considering the change in context, we have to consider the big things God might call us to. If you hear that still small voice prodding you to do something for the sake of another, it could be something as big as going off to seminary or doing some missionary work, or it could be helping with this or that around here or giving in some big new way. When you're sure God has called you to do something big, you can rest assured as you act in a big way, God has your back. God will take care of you as long as those big moves, reckless and so on, are consistent with what God is calling you to do. 
And then one last note as to how this text might relate to us today, even though our situation is so much different. Remember the why. Because the why can be the same today as it was back then. The reason to expand the movement from 12 to 70 and on from there, and the reason Jesus did it in this way was so that more people would know who Jesus is and what Jesus is about. You, as someone who comes to church, you, someone people know is a Christian, believes in God, and on and on it goes, you, by your life, will provide evidence for or against the gospel. The way you act shows what you really believe. And if your life is consistent with the kind of things Jesus calls disciples to do, radical self-sacrificial love, then people will see it. It will lend credence to the claims. It will bolster the authority of the gospel. If Jesus' word can change you and your life as to live in a way that is more giving than the world around you, more people will come to know and love God. Now, for one, you may just be one among 12 or 70 or 1,000 who made such a contribution that brought them around, but your contribution matters. Whether your life is consistent with your beliefs and what we as a church proclaim matters. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other, and have a great rest of the week.